things that we can see from Scripture that point to what our life is going to be like in the new heaven and the new earth. So what I wanted to do was quickly take you through some Scriptures that point to the new heaven and the new earth and what it's going to be like for the believer. Um, so the first Scripture I want to take you to, I want you to turn to John chapter 14, verse 3. This, this, these, these points are taken from Dwight Pentecost's book on Revelation called Things to Come. Excellent uh, commentary on the book of Revelation. But here's the first thing that he highlights, that what it's going to be like for us, what our life in heaven is going to be like. And he says that it's a life of fellowship with him, with Christ. So John 14 verse 3 says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This points us to the fact that heaven, and certainly eternity, is a place of fellowship with him. Praise God. Turn to Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. It's a life of fellowship with him, but it's also a life of rest. Praise God. <laughs> yes. Revelation 14, verse 13. Says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow him. So heaven is a place of rest. Not temporary rest. Not one day of the week rest. But eternal rest in him. Beautiful. It's also a life full of knowledge. 1 Corinthians, turn there, verse 13. Or chapter 13, sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. One Corinthians thirteen verse twelve says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. What does it say? We don't know the half of it now. But one day we'll know it all. Why? Because we're with the one who is all. It's beautiful. It's a life of knowledge. It's also a life of holiness. Revelation twenty one, turn there. Verse twenty seven. We looked at this last Sunday. Revelation 21, verse 27. It says, There shall no wise enter anything that defileth. Talking about the new heaven. There's no sin. Nothing that defileth. What does that mean? It's a life of holiness. Not attaining for, not striving for, not pushing for holiness. I think we're called to do today but complete holiness forever. Can't even imagine it. Because we're all full of holes at the minute. <laughs> the wrong. But this holiness from God. Beautiful. So it's a life of fellowship. It's a life of rest, life of knowledge, life of holiness. Look at verse 4 of chapter 21 of Revelation. It's a life of joy. Again, we looked at this. The new constitution of the new city. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. No more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain. Life of joy. It's also a life of service. Work that out. It's rest, but it's service. It's perfect service in Him. Revelation 22, verse 3. 
and there will be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. So it's a life of service, but in glorified, perfected bodies that you'll never get tired. It's perfect. Everything about it is perfect. Revelation 21, verse 6, it's a life of abundance. And he said unto me, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst, the fountain of the water of life freely. Our eternal life is a life of abundance in him. It's also a life of glory. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. It's a life of glory and the word of God says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Go forward a couple of books in the Bible and get to Colossians for me. Colossians chapter number 3, verse 4. Just continuing this thought that the eternal life is a life of glory. Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. It's a life of abundance, it's a life of glory, and then finally and most fittingly, it's a life of worship. Revelation 7, Revelation 7, verse number 9. Revelation 7, verse number 9. After this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne before the Lamb clothed with ripe robes and palms in their hands cried with a loud voice saying Salvation to your God which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb and all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. The eternal life is a life of eternal worship. It's a life of fellowship, life of rest, a life full of knowledge, life of holiness, a life of joy, a life of service, a life of abundance, a life of glory, and a life of worship. That is glorious. <laughs> That's what lies ahead for the believer. But what we want to look at now is the remainder of the book of Revelation from verse number 6, and we'll finish up in verse number 21, and we'll, we'll deal with the last words of the Lord on things. You know, people are often noted for their last words, some famous people and what they say. John Wesley is, is reported, and I say reported because I wasn't there. <laughs> but John Wesley on his deathbed is reported to have said, best of all, God is with us. Beethoven on his deathbed is reported to have said, the comedy is over. And he, he, <laughs> the difference between those two Deathbed confessions is night and day, literally night and day. For Wesley, he knew that death in this earth was gateway into the eternal. And he rejoiced in that and said, God is with us. Beethoven looked at life and reflected at the folly it was 
when there was no destination at the end of it. And he said the comedy is over. Quite a difference. When we come to these last words of the book of Revelation, there's some real warnings in here, some real encouragements and some real warnings. And these last words are last words that we should heed because they are God's last words. The book of Revelation completes the canon of Scripture. What do I mean by that? The entirety of God's revealed written word. From Genesis to Revelation, this is what God has said to us. This is what he has given to us. And he has given us no more in written word format. This is it. This is it. We were, oh, I think, yeah, it was actually, in, in Bible study on Wednesday. Um, I must be going through a little season where I'm, I'm reflecting on lyrics of hymns and stuff. But I talked about um, I firm a foundation. And I read the words. And there's a line in that where it says, what more can he say than what he has said? Something like that. Maybe paraphrasing a little bit. But that's it. What more can he say than what he's already said? This is it. This is the complete revelation. So when we get into the last book of the Bible, we understand its importance in the whole concept of the word of God. That Genesis, first word, is important. Revelation, last word, is important. And everything in between is as equal important because it's from God. That's his word. So what am I saying? I'm saying we'll do well to listen to the last words of the last book of the Bible. We'll do well. So, what do we see when we, we get into it and, ha- and have a look? Can you click on that for it? Come on, stupid thing. Work. No. You, can you click on the... Just click on it so it's... There we go. Thank you. Right. What do we see first when we look at these verses? First of all, we're reminded of the faithful word of God. Uh, look at verse number six. We're thinking about the faithful word of God and in verse number six we're reminded of the accuracy of the word of God. Verse six says, and he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must be shortly done. So this reference where it says these sayings are faithful and true by interpretation are related to the prophetic uh, words that have been written by John but by application referencing the word of God in its entirety because we cannot, we cannot uh, pick and choose what is inspired. We cannot pick and choose what's from God and what's not. Again, complete revelation of scripture. It's, it's all from God. It's all from God. So we want to be thinking about this and thinking about the accuracy of the word, looking at the book and you know, many have scoffed Many have um, mocked the word of God. Many have tried to destroy the word of God. Many, many dictators and leaders have come along and they've tried to burn it, tried to get rid of it. For uh, hundreds of years, the, the enemy has attacked it, yet it still stands. Why does it stand? Because it is God's inspired word. It's faithful and it's true. Time and time again, they've come along and they've great scientists, so-called thinkers of this world have tried to go in and rip God's foundation of the truth of his word away. Genesis, Darwin comes along, Darwinianism. Again, you just need to examine it and you'll see that it doesn't stand up scientifically, never mind anything else. Time and time again, they come along and they say, oh, you know what, that Jericho didn't exist. This place didn't exist. Israel didn't have a king, etc., etc. God's words flawed, it's fallible, it's full of error. And yet time and time again, 
The archaeologists come along and they dig stuff up that just proves God's words faithful and true, faithful and true, faithful and true. Because God is faithful and true. Why would his word not be faithful and true? And there's going to be some warnings about the word of God in these last verses. So, you know, we have the, the uh, <coughs> accuracy of the word. It's faithful and true. Verse 7 there, we have the authority of the word. Look at it says, Behold, I come quickly. That word quickly is in chronos time. Chronos time is the ticking of the clock. It deals with moment by moment. This is tacos, which is um, speed, velocity, tachometer from car. This is what it's talking about. When the Lord comes, he comes quickly. Quickly. Bless, so behold, I come quickly. Bless is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then he said to me, See, thou do not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of these books, worship God. So here we have this, this interesting little, little passage that points us really, or this angel points us to the authority of the word of God. And what happens here is, you know, there's obviously the Lord speaking into this, but the angel is also delivering the message. And John, you know, just, and you can't blame him really, blown away by the, the moment, says when I, verse 8, when I saw these things and when I heard them, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. And the angel responds and says, don't do that. Don't do that. He says, worship is for God alone. God alone. Now this takes us back to other events through, in scripture where angels have refused worship. One of the great tools you use with Jehovah's Witnesses that want to say that Jesus was the brother of Satan, that he is just another angel. He's a created being. So one of the things you can do scripturally is take them to the occasions in the word of God where man has tried to worship an angel and has been rebuked and has been rejected and pointed to God. And then you take them to where Jesus, at Thomas's, uh, where Thomas touches and he says he's my Lord and my God. He worships him. Now if Jesus was an angel, he would have rejected that. Right? He didn't. What does that point us to? That, he, that, he's, that he's God. Here, here John, you know, he falls at this angel's feet. Doesn't know what to do. Just like I'm blown away by the magnitude of what's going on here. I'm just going to worship what's before me. And the angel points him uh, to God. And notice what the angel says. It says at the end of verse 9 there. See thou do it not. For I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets and of them which keep the sayings of the book. So the angel lumps himself in with those that keep the sayings of the book, the words of God. So what do we have here? The angel is round about pointing John to the authority of the word of God. And remember, I've spoke to you about the word of God being the Logos, New Testament, being the Memra in the Old Testament, pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who's all knowledge so the authority of the word is, is pointed to here. The angel points John back. Then in verse 10, we have the accessibility of the word. Verse 10 of Revelation 22. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of this prophecy, for the time is at hand. Now this is in contrast to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel needs to be, is a 
partner book to the book of Revelation. In fact, Daniel chapter number 9, certainly we get into verse 27, 23 to 27 there. It is the key to unlocking all the events in the book of Revelation. You want a good understanding of Revelation, you have to understand Daniel. And that's maybe we may go there at some point. We'll not go straight into Daniel because it's heavy stuff. We're going to maybe do something a bit later next and on Sunday evenings. But Daniel 12. Turn there with me, actually. Let's turn there. We've got time. I think the Lord's coming tonight. It looks like the clouds are darkening. <laughs> Daniel 12, verse number 4. And I see the contrast from what we've read in Revelation twenty-two ten, where John said, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy, or keep secret. That's a better word for seal. In Daniel 12 and verse number 4, it says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on, on this side of the bank of the river, the other on the side, other side of the bank of the river. One said to the man clothed in linen, which is upon the waters of the river. How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, What shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Get to the book of Revelation. John's told specifically, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Don't keep them secret, for the time is at hand. Why? Because here we are in a different economy, dispensation, Things have changed. We're, we're post-cross. We're now looking back to the cross. We're looking at the times of the Gentiles. We've just been through the book of Revelation and we've seen the tribulation, the times, times and half a times. We've seen what's going on there. And these words are to be broadcast. They're not to be kept in secret. They're not for those that are enlightened only. They're for all to see what God is doing at the very end of time. They are written For all to see, all to read, and all to understand. And with the completed revelation of Scripture, we can now look back and look into Daniel and then understand perfectly the prophecies that are given there. Those at that time, Daniel couldn't understand it because church is a mystery. Messiah, crucified, mystery. Come, Lord Jesus. I would love it if you come tonight. I would love it if he comes tonight. I would, I would, I would, honestly. Just talking about what lies ahead. If you're, not here, if you're here and you're not saved, I wouldn't love it for you. But for me, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. So the words of this prophecy are available to all. They're accessible to all. So that's the faithful word of God. Then we move on and to the finished work of Christ. And the finished work of Christ, we, you know, we talked about this a little bit this morning. It's just beautiful. And look at verse 11. Because what does the finished work of Christ do for us? Number one, it settles what we are. Look at verse 11. 
says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. This is the great divide that we talked about this morning. At the finished work of Christ, and how whether we accept Christ or we deny Christ, determine what side of the chasm we fall on here. Are we holy? Are we unholy? Let me, let me change that round. Are we in Christ or outside of Christ? That's the simple truth that's been uh, stated. Again, <laughs> oh, I'm laughing. Again, a, a, a lyric, a song came to my mind as I was putting this together. It's a song by Phil Wickham, you may have heard it, uh, Living Hope it's called. And it starts with these words. How great the chasm that lay between us. How great the mountain I could not climb. In desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. That's the difference maker. In or out, the finished work of Christ and whether we have accepted it and took it as our own determines or it settles what we are. Holy or unholy. The finished work of Christ also settles where we are. Look at verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commands, that they may have the right to the tree of life. They may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. The finished work of Christ settles not only uh, what we are, but where we are. Are we in him? And if we're in him, we have access to the eternal state. The new heaven, the new earth. That place of rest and joy and worship and life in him. But again, it's in and around. And the finished work of Christ is a determining factor. What we are, where we are, then verse number 16, it settles whose we are. Verse 16, Revelation 22. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Finished work of Christ settles who we are. Listen to what John Phillips says. That is whose we are. He is the lover of the church, the Lord of the earth, the light of creation, and we belong to him. How should we thank God for the finished work of Christ? Or sorry, how we should thank God for the finished work of Christ, which lies behind all these magnificent statements in this closing section of the book. Finished work of Christ settles what we are, settles where we are, and it settles whose we are. Are we in or are we out? No middle ground, no maybes, it, it's in or out. In or out. Simply that. So we've looked at the faithful word of God, we've looked at the finished work of Christ, and then we get to the final witness of the Spirit. Here we pick up in verse number 17 where we have the last welcome. It says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. 
Let him that heareth say, Come, and let them that are or is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Well, here we're getting into the very last words of God. And what does he say? Come. Not once. Not twice. But three times. Trinitarian. Threes again. He says, come. What does this say to me? This says to me, this is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Saying, come. The spirit, the bride, come. Whoever's a thirst, come. This is the entirety of the people of God and the God of the people crying out to the lost. Come. Come. And I love the little caveat. Whosoever will. Whosoever will. Told you about a pastor that I replaced in Spalding. He said, I don't know much about Calvinism and Armenianism and this and that. But what I do know is, I'm glad I'm a whosoever. I'm a whosoever. Whosoever. That means it's open. The invitation is open. So that's the last welcome. And then we have that, from that invitation, you get to the last warning, verses 18 and 19. It says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of this book of the prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, out of the book of the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. Now this is a stark warning. Stark warning. I think this is so so, uh, relevant today because honestly... If there's ever a book that's been cut out of the Bible, it's this one. It's the book of Revelation. book of Revelation. Uh, I honestly, I never forget the, uh, the guy that came and spoke on Islam. Great on that topic. And he went to Revelation and he said, Oh, Revelation, like it never gets opened. Actually, that's probably the case. I'm thankful in this church it's not the case. It's not the case. This book is full of blessings. It starts with blessings. There's seven blessings in the book of Revelation. But there's some warnings and some curses. And the last words of God are, if any man takes away from this book, he's going to be cursed. Cursed. What's the, the application? By interpretation, it's this prophecy. But again, application has to go wider because it is the word of God in total. So same concept. Why is this important? Why is this important in the book of Revelation that God highlights that any man adds to his word or takes away is going to be cursed? What did I tell you about the book of Genesis and Revelation? That they are the, the, the bookends of it. And that God is repairing. See the power in that? Goodness me. Shall we go back and read Revelation 5, 6 and 7 where it's thunder and lightning? But doesn't it, doesn't it, I mean, let's just use this. Doesn't it, when the thunder rolls, How big do you feel as a human being? You feel like this. Because that's all we are. We're like grasshoppers. And that power that we hear in nature is just a, a, a snippet of what will be heard 
in the last days when God unleashes his wrath on this world. You know me, part of that. Nobody wants to be part of that. And God, as he brings things back in the book of Revelation, he repairs all things, takes us to where we should be, how we were created to be. Remember, Adam was tested and he failed the test. He's a representative for humanity. If he'd have passed that test, he would have went into the eternal state that we've read about. But he failed. And he was the best of us, genetically, mentally, physically, without sin. And he failed. What happened in the failure? How did he fail? What went on? Tell me. What happened? Garden of Eden. Eh? Tempted. But what did the tempter do? How did he tempt Eve? With, with the word of God. But what did he do? Yeah, he, he added and he subtracted. So here we have... Book of Revelation, God's warning about what happens to those who are going to mess with the word of God. Because that's what the enemy did at the beginning. And that's what led to the fall of man. Now, man sinned, Adam sinned, he fell on the sword, I believe. He sinned. But the manipulation by the deceiver was of the word of God. So here we have the warning at the end, what happens when we mess with the word of God. That is why it is so important that despite what the world pressure is going to put upon us, that we stand true to the word of God. True to the word of God. And it's getting harder and harder because it's easy to fight the world. It becomes a lot more difficult when you're fighting those that are meant to be in the same team. And we have a world that's just getting rid of the word of God and pushing it away. And they're suffering for it. But we have to stand. We have to stand. It's not for us to take away or add to what God says. This is God's word. And it should be revered as such. And the final witness of the spirit is that 